With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, and I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow me on Twitter, at GolfUnfiltered, and you can follow me on Instagram as well. And you can send me an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. So if you're on any of those social outlets that I just mentioned, especially Twitter, and you are a follower of Golf Twitter, the uh, as we affectionately call it, uh, chances are you've probably heard a little bit about golf course architecture within the last few weeks, months, pretty much throughout the year now that I think of it. And it's a growing trend. It's a very popular topic that a lot of people like to talk about. And a lot of people have some pretty strong opinions about what they like, regarding how a golf course is designed and the architects that make those golf courses and everything in between. And so today's guest is Mr. Tony Deere. He is a well-known journalist in the field. Uh, he's written for many different publications. He's written a few books as well, uh, especially the, the story of golf in 50 holes. And so he is always in the middle of these conversations on social regarding golf course architecture. Uh, it's really hard to say, so I'm just going to call it GCA. Uh, but we refer to this throughout our uh, conversation today. I think you're really going to like all the insights that Tony brings to the table. And he's been around the game for a little while, so he's got a lot of different viewpoints on how GCA impacts today's game, and even more so how today's game impacts the way that courses are designed. So before we get into today's uh, conversation, shout-outs to my normal friends who make the Golf Unfiltered podcast possible, our friends over at BudgetGolf.com. Be sure to check those guys out. They've got 12 days of deals going on, at least at the time of this recording, just in time for the holidays. So go and buy your uh, Secret Santa something nice this year. Hello to our friends over at TheHackersParadise.com as well. If you're listening to this on the THP radio app, hello, as always. And, of course, last but certainly not least, our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon just received a nice little prototype prototype box rather, of new Z-Star golf balls that I'm really interested in trying out uh, pretty soon. So uh, more to come on that. Check out the site for an eventual review. So with that, folks, sit back and relax. This is Mr. Tony Deere on the Golf and Filter Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. As I mentioned at the top of the show, today's episode is all about the trending topic in the Twitterverse, golf Twitter, uh, golf course architecture. And joining me today is Mr. Tony Deere. He is uh, certainly someone who knows a lot more about GCA, as it's uh, affectionately called on Twitter. Tony, I really appreciate you coming on to, to chat about this really emerging topic, it seems. It's a very hot topic on Twitter these days. Oh, it was my pleasure, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very interesting subject. It's a huge subject, and uh, I can't wait to get into it with you. 
And so you've you're certainly no stranger to the golf journalism world. You've written uh, five books on the subject. Uh, you have written for over forty publications. Most recently, you are a writer for Lynx Magazine, and then Golf World over in the UK. Obviously, listeners can can hear that you are originally from the UK. Is that right? Yeah, I was uh, I was born about an hour outside of London. Uh, grew up just on the outskirts of London. Went to Liverpool University. Um, and came to the States in 2001. Okay, and since that time, you've obviously remained connected to the game of golf. And I, as I understand it, you and I were chatting a little bit before we got going here that you were also an apprentice uh, PGA professional for a stretch uh, in the past. I was. I was I was an apprentice PGA pro in Britain for a few years uh, in the uh, early to mid-90s. Um, I, was, I was on en route to be a being a club pro that was kind of what i wanted to be um and then for various reasons i just uh i became a writer instead what's what i find interesting about you know i have a certainly a completely different background than you do but what i find interesting about people like you and i who who like to write about the game you do it for a career i do it more for a, a glorified hobby i think listeners to this know that <laughs> about me um, but i love talking about it with folks like yourself because there's always these these little niches of topics that people like to really, you know, hone in on and focus on. And as I mentioned in your introduction, as of late, at least on social media, it's been golf course architecture. And I have to admit, Tony, I don't know how you feel, but I never thought in a million years that there would that that topic <laughs> would get so popular so quickly, especially on social media. Is that surprising to you? Um. Well, I, I, I'm of an age, Adam. I'm a good deal older than you. Where everything about social media surprises me. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it moves so fast, and you know the world changes so quickly. And people's, you know, what the, the, today's topic of discussion or you know the subject that we're talking about today changes. You know, last week it was the distance the ball goes, and you know, the Tiger Woods thing is simmering under the surface all the time. Mm-hmm. It's you know today was golf course architecture. Well, today you know the last couple of days the golf course architecture thing has has exploded, and you know tomorrow I don't know it might be something different. It, it probably but will no, be. Uh, <laughs> actually, yeah, we, we might go back to talking about the ball tomorrow. It's, it's been a few days, so I think I think we should start, start talking about distance again. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and you know it's funny though, Tony, because you know uh, as you mentioned uh, today's topic about golf course architecture, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the finer points of GCA, as it's called. And uh, I know what I like to play. I know when I go out to a course, I, I, I like certain aesthetics about the, the land that I'm playing on. I also know what I don't like. Personally, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Link-style courses. I actually prefer Parkland courses, or, or I actually like trees, believe it or not. But what I'm finding as a avid golf Twitter follower, as you are as well, a lot of people are getting into some deep conversations about people who design courses, you know, the golf course architects themselves, uh, certain choices that these well-known architects, you know, Pete Dye, Gil Hans, others make on the course, you know, from a fundamental level, from the highest level, Tony, you know, what should a novice like, like me, know about 
GCA to help me really appreciate the conversations that we're reading? Blimey, Adam, how long do you have? I mean, <laughs> it's, it just opened a can of worms. I mean, it's such a huge subject. And, you know, we, we were talking about this briefly, you know, before we went on air. Um, sometimes I, 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 I would wish to go back to the level where you're at, where it doesn't matter. I just don't care. Um, because it's golf. I love golf. I don't care. Another thing we, we talked about, you know, I, um, I'd much rather play with friends on a $20 Muni than with someone I don't know who I don't particularly get on with on a $300 top 100 course. Um, ultimately, it, well, no, I wouldn't say it doesn't matter because I think it does. But um, what's really important is whether you enjoy it or not. Right. And um, if you enjoy it, if you have a great day on the golf course, does it does it even matter for a second, you know, who designed the course or, you know, whether the hole bends this way or that way or what, what style the bunkers are, et cetera, et cetera? No, I don't, I don't think it does at all. Mm. Um, for, people who, for people who do have a vested interest in golf course architecture, and if you're looking to you know, increase your knowledge of golf course architecture, then I, I sincerely believe that if, if you have some idea of what the architect was trying to do when he, when he designed the course, or if you, if you, almost if you can get into inside his head a little bit, then I do believe it not only makes you play better, um, but it enhances your appreciation of the course. And, you know, whether that's important to you or not, it is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's important. Um, when I go to a new course, um, it's important to me that, that it makes sense, you know, from an architectural point of view, that it's, uh, that every hole, every, every shot, you know, is, is challenging, it's fun, it, it's, um, it's something different from the shot before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because I've been in this subject for so long and read so much about it, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of these decisions and I'm conscious of these things throughout the round. That's, um, that's as interesting. I said before, I, I would get, I, w- I almost wish sometimes that I would get back to the point where I knew nothing about it. That's really interesting what you just mentioned. And, and you touched on it at the beginning too, where understanding what the architect wanted to do with the whole helps you appreciate yeah. the whole a little bit more. And, and I can, I can connect with that. I can kind of see where you're going with that, but maybe, you know, to put that in another way, does it, impact the way that you actually play the hole does it change your strategy knowing what the architect wants or how the architect wanted you to play the hole is, is that no doubt okay that's interesting. yeah absolutely it does yeah i mean if if you have some knowledge of the architect or the hole you, you might you might know you know what this architect what type of shot or what type of hole this architect is likely to build or is likely to ask of the player so um absolutely if if you um it, you, know, you can go into a golf course blind and not know who who designed it and not know anything about his style or his preferences and do great obviously you can um that said i do believe 
you know, if you have some idea of, of um, the way the whole works, let's, let's take a, you know, let, let, I don't want to alien, um, you know, put sure. people off, but let, you know, let, let's talk about a, let's talk about a template hole. Let's talk about the red ant. Okay. You know, the, the red ant is, is, is one of the templates that um, C.B. McDonald and Seth Rainey use a lot in their courses. Um, it, it just so happened that um, McDonald loved, loved the style of the green, you know, the 15th at North Derrick, and he wanted to recreate it in a number of his courses because he, he really saw the beauty of the challenge that it, um, it posed, hmm. the questions that it, that it asked. Um, so red and green, the original red and green, um, there's, there's other types, there's reverse red ants and so on, but the original red and green, it, it, it tilted such, pitched such that if you hit the front right hand quadrant of the green with a low drawing iron shot or whatever club, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ball then runs curve, you know, runs towards you know, if, if the pin is back left, say, the ball then runs on the gr on the green, right, toward the back of the to, toward the back of the green where the hole is cut. Um, and you know that that doesn't. You, you know, if you, if you see Rory McIlroy play a red hand today, say the fourth at National Golf Links or you know the fifteenth at Red uh, North Derrick, you know he doesn't need to play that shot. Hmm. He'll hit an eight iron, 150 feet in the sky. And it will come down, and it will pitch and stop. So there's no need, you know, with with the old equipment. It used to be a, you know, the the old red iron at, at North Ferry used to be a, a long iron or even a wood. And and you hit a low ball out, you know, with a little bit of draw, start finish, uh, sorry, land it on the front right of the green, and it runs back to the hole, you know, cut back left. And that is, it's a great challenge, and it's great fun to be able to play that shot and see that ball do that. There's a hole um, and a course up here in Seattle called Fir uh, the course is called Firquest. It's an old uh, A.V. McCann course, mm -hmm. um, and it has a reverse red an. I believe it's yeah, it's the it's the 16th. Jeff Mingay um, restored it to its original beauty a couple of years ago, and instead of the drawing shot, it's a uh, you know you, you want to hit it on the front left of the green. And then have it run back to the hole, you know, that, that cut further back in the green. So he had a little fade. And these sort of challenges are fun, you know. You, right. It's um, it just makes the game so much more interesting and so much more fun to be able to, you know, to, to you know, the, the word is shot maker. You know, you, you make shots. You don't just, you know, today's today's game. You just tear it up. You hit it high. You land it soft. That's today's game. You know, in the in in days gone by, you know, you, you had to invent shots. You had to hit the little fade or the little draw to get the ball running back to the hole. And so, understanding the terrain and understanding the different types of shots that the architect wanted you to hit or envisioned the player to hit while when they were designing the hole, you know, I imagine that that's probably evolved over time. Clearly, and and you right. know, as, as you were talking, you know, I I think there's a course. Uh, in my hometown that was actually designed by Pete Dye. And, you know, I know from him or from what I've learned about him, uh, you know, he liked to hide 
a lot of aesthetics from the tea box. You can't see everything right from the tea. And clearly, you know, everyone thinks when they think of Pete Dye, they think of many things, but they also think of, you know, like sawgrass. And this particular golf course, uh, Ruffled Feathers, actually has an island green. And so I know that there's qualities of, of this particular architect that I now notice. Um, but how has architecture, maybe whether it be because of technology or just, you know, the way that architects evolve creatively how has gca evolved over time great question and another question that demands a half an hour long answer <laughs> i believe it yeah. um yeah um so yeah um you would have heard of keith cutton's um amazing book which has just come out um yep. in which he um discusses how various um, factors, you know, uh, changed or uh, allowed GC, uh, GCA to evolve through the decades. Mm -hmm. um, and he go, you know, he goes, I mean, it's not just equipment. We're talking about outside influences, you know, in society, societal changes that, you know, eventually caused changes in golf course architecture. And it's absolutely fascinating. Um, but, you know, to keep it in golf, um, the, the advances in equipment have had an absolutely enormous, profound, uh, you know, reason for, for changing attitudes and changing perceptions and changing everything sure. in golf course architecture. Because as, as the clubs get better and as the ball has gotten longer, and people were talking about the ball going too far 100 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. McKenzie, Flynn, you know, all, all these great designers from the past, they all talked about the dangers of the golf ball going too far. Um, but because because the ball has gotten so good and because um, it, it just, just keeps on going further and further and further, golf courses have had to get longer and longer and longer. Right. Um, and, you know, by extending courses as much as we have, um, the the way that the holes played as you know the old designers Colt Flynn Mackenzie Fowler Simpson you know all these guys the the way the holes that they designed the the way the hole played has changed mm -hmm. a great deal over time because I mean like like we just said in the in the last question you know with the red hand you know the, the old shot. Uh, uh, maybe as recently as 40, 50 years ago, was a low running shot. Mm -hmm. That that was the that was the way to play the hole because with with the red hand there's there's always a, a a large deep bunker in the front of the green. Um, so you know with 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 the old shot with old equipment you had to avoid it so you had to hit the the low draw running shot or the low fade if it was a reverse red hand. These days you don't need to. These days, you know that that hole is completely. I, would, I don't know about obsolete. I mean, certainly not for players like us. Right. You know, we, we still need to play the running shot, and it's, and, it's, and and you know that's great for us because we still get the joy of playing it. But you know, professionals, elite amateurs, you know, they don't need to play that shot. You know, they they just you know hit it miles up in the air aim it at, right at the pin and and have it land softly you know right next to the hole so 
so the whole it doesn't matter how the hole is designed mm-hmm. you know one hole is very much like another because because for them one shot is very much like another and, and they, for... they don't need they don't need to have the variety of shots that you know players in the old days did right and, and it almost seems as though well, obviously, golf courses, the, the, the famous courses that everyone listening to this can think of, Augusta, others, you know, they're going through a growth of their own because of the points that you're, you're pointing out. And, and it's, and, I mean, tragic is too strong a word. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a golf course here, but, but it is, it's just the saddest thing to, to see Augusta National go through the changes that has, that it has in the, in the last decade or two. I mean, it's, it's not the course. I mean, it, it's it's stretching it to say that it's an Alistair McKenzie course mm. anymore. It really is. I mean, it's if Alistair McKenzie, I'm I'm always absolutely fascinated and very curious to, to to think about. You know, if if these designers, these architects were to come back and see what has become of their courses, you know, I I I would just love to be a fly on the wall or to or to see their their reaction. It's it's funny you I, say I'm that. I'm absolutely convinced. I, I'm just convinced if if Mackenzie saw Augusta National today, he'd he'd be horrified. I mean, it's um, and and you know he he with with, with a nodding head he would say, "Told you so." You know, and, mm. and it's it, it just doesn't. I mean, it's the Masters. I mean, we love the Masters, and the Masters is exciting beyond measure every year. It's brilliant, but it could be so much better. I really I agree with you, and uh, you know I, I was gonna say I there's an old there's an old adage um, or whatever it is that I that I hear about um, you know a ship for example or any structure that you continuously update and update and you change and you change a couple boards here and you change you know maybe uh, just little elements throughout. And at what point is it no longer the same as it mm-hmm. was originally? And so your point, you know, right. about the the greats coming back, and if they were to look uh, at at what they had originally created, uh, if I understand you correctly, I mean, and I, I don't disagree, but you're arguing that perhaps, wow, this this isn't what I designed. What is this that I'm left with? Oh, absolutely. No, that, that that's happened. You know, in in hundreds and hundreds of places around the world, um, across the board, it's. Because of, because of, partly because of changing societal um, attitudes, but mostly because of the equipment, the, the advancing equipment, golf courses have changed beyond recognition. Hmm. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if we wanted to get into the conversation about the distance of the ball, but the, the two are very much intertwined. Sure. You know, they're very, they're very, they're very much not one in the same story, but, you know, they're, they're very strongly linked. Um, you, you can't, you can't, you can't really have one without the other because golf course, golf courses, as I say, have changed beyond all recognition in, in a lot of cases. And, you know, this, this gets onto the, the topic of, hang on, what, why are we even talking about this? Because this affects a thousand golfers. Maybe not even that many. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's a, it's it's a it's a it's a very easy argument to make, um, and I agree with it to a certain extent. But the fact is, you know, what we see on television 
and you know what happens on the major major championships where you know hundreds of thousands or millions of people are watching has a profound effect on the way we play the game and the courses that we play um and if if the majors are becoming less and less yeah i'm loath to say this because you know i don't want people to think that i'm not I'm not watching the major. I mean, I, I love watching professional golf. I mm-hmm. do. I love watching the best. I love watching the best play golf. But I, knowing that it could be so much better, it could be so much more interesting. And you know, uh, your your listenership is young. You know, much younger than me. And they'll be rolling their eyes at this point, thinking, oh, "Old fogey." You know, older is better. Old is better. <laughs> Right. Every time, that's all we hear all the time. Um, and I, I'm not going to say, yeah, it was, but I would love to see Rory McIlroy. I would love to see Justin Thomas. I would love to see Cam Champ. Um, you know, hit 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 clubs and hit balls that go to to ninety. Right. Not three hundred and fifty. I mean, I just saw a video today. Uh, who was it? Um, Hayden Porteous. Now, mm. who's Hayden Porteous? You know, or, you know, if you know golf, he's obviously a really good South African European tour player. Mm-hmm. But you know, if if I, if I go next door and talk to my friend next door about Hayden Porteous, he'll look at me like, uh, you know, uh, I'm, who Tony? Sorry. Yeah, right. You know, he won't know who I'm talking about. Hayden Porteous today. There's a video of him on Twitter showing him hitting a sandwich at a 597-yard hole. <laughs> wow. Now. I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's uh, it's Rand Park in um, in Johannesburg. Hmm. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who designed Rand Park. Um, I think it might have been Herb, Herbert Fowler. Anyway, um, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know the, the the person who designed that hole did not ever expect anyone to hit a sandwich for their second shot to that hole. So the so the 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 characteristics of the hole and the features that he built into the hole are now absolutely obsolete and absolutely meaningless because Hayden Porteous just comes up with a driver, smacks it all, all over everything and hits a sandwich to the green. Right. So, it, I mean, it, it gets to a point where it doesn't matter how the course is designed or how brilliant or how nuanced or how interesting or how fascinating the course is. It doesn't matter because you know, one course or one tournament is exactly the same as the last. You know, the, these guys, they hit it so far and so high, they just, you know, one, one shot fits all. Right. Well, we see that every year with, you know, like Dustin Johnson, for example, another name that right. obviously, you know, anybody would know, even if you're the, the most casual golf fan. And, you know, he does it at Kapalua. He'll just go and he'll... He'll blast a driver. I was talking to uh, Peter Kessler, was our last guest on the show, and he brought this up Brilliant, as an yeah. example. And he yeah. said, you know, yeah, it was just driver, wedge, driver, wedge, repeat, repeat, collect, check, go on to the next tournament. And and I can see your point, right. Tony. I mean, it, it, it does get a little repetitive. It gets a little, well, certainly non-interesting, or at least not as interesting as it could be. Um, and I wonder, you know, is that where 
enthusiasts of golf course architecture are really coming from because i guess i should provide some context as to how you and i have even actually corresponded you know as i mentioned at the top of the show uh and actually most recently we got involved in a pretty lengthy discussion on twitter about just the the pros and cons of the conversations that take place on twitter regarding gca and do you think that for for the the extremists let's just say or the purists the armchair experts is, I guess, a third uh, I could throw out there. Do you think that that's where they're coming from, where they want to protect the hard work of these architects in spite of today's game, or is it coming from somewhere else? Well, yeah, um, I do. Um, you know, let, let, let's not run away with, again, this This is an age, it's a, it's a generation thing. Um like with golf courses, if you enjoy it, I don't care who, who built it or how long it is or how, what the bunker style is. If you enjoy it, that's all that matters, right? Right. Same, same, with, same with watching golf, same with watching these pros. If that's what you love, if you love watching Dustin Johnson hit 360-yard drives or Hayden Porteous hitting a, um, I suppose it must have been a 450-yard drive, <laughs> um, and then hitting a sandwich to a green, if that's what you love, great fine you know that's your that's your thing um i'm of an age where i've i've you know in, in my eyes you know th- this would probably come out all wrong but i've had the benefit of watching lee trevino or Sergio ballesteros or or um even jack nicholas you know play a 597 yard hole with a with a really crafty draw off the tee mm-hmm 280 yards to the right-hand side of the fairway because he knew that was the best side at which to attack, you know, the fairway for his for his second shot. Then hit a three-word 250 yards up the left-hand side of the fairway, knowing that that was the best angle from which to um, approach the hole. And you know, given where the flag is cut on the green, he knew, he, he knew that it's therefore better to approach the hole from the left-hand side of the fairway. And once he's done that, he hits a sandwich for his third shot to the hole. Right. Now, that's taken him three shots instead of two, and it's required a great deal more thought, conscious thought on his part, and skill, I think, to produce those shots and to get, and, and to make a four or five or four, whereas, whereas, you know, today's player is able to tee it up, smack it hard and high, have a sandwich to a 597-yard hole. I can't even believe I'm saying that. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, is, if, if that's your thing, great. It's certainly not my thing. It's, it makes the game... It, 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 it just... It makes the game far less watchable hmm. in my opinion and you know again you know again your your listeners are going to be rolling their eyes and thinking what an old fogey well you know, I, better, blah 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 but, i don't know but, about that though uh, tony because I, I you know i actually agree with you i mean i'm 36 and i agree with you uh very much so actually i i prefer to see 
that type of golf where it's more crafty in the shot making and thinking your way around a golf course as opposed to just the the bomb and gouge, you know. And and I know that the the scenario you just described is something that is much more attractive to me from a you know a avid golfer standpoint and someone who speaks mm-hmm. about it and someone who writes about it as opposed to perhaps what we might see you know someone who hasn't played the game as long who is a little bit more for the flash you know and and you're right it is a little bit of whatever is your your bag you know whatever you want yeah whatever you want yeah. to enjoy it's all entertainment at the end of the day and and you know but to get back to the the growing trend on social you know what i'm noticing is that not everybody agrees with the fact that you can enjoy something just for the sake of enjoying it and and i would almost at least my personal opinion i mean i know there's some some very intelligent much more than me uh which isn't hard to do likewise <laughs> um <laughs> on twitter and, and others talking about gca where if I actually sat back and read what they were writing, I might learn something. But to me, it just comes across almost rather annoying. I mean, how do you feel about the current conversations that are being had about the topic? Um, I'm, I, I, uh, I, I don't read people who I find annoying. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow people who I find annoying. Um, I, you know, I'll follow yourself, um, you know, because I know you know what you're talking about. Not not necessarily GCA, but sure. you know, with other things. With GCA, you know, I'll, I'll I follow Derek Duncan, Garrett Ford, uh, Jeff Shackelford. You know, Matt Janella, guys who, obviously, um, Andy Johnson, mm-hmm. guys who really do know what they're talking about, because I know I can learn something from them. Um, not because I I think they're going to agree with what I say, or I'm necessarily going to agree with what, with what they say. But I know that I'm, I'm going to be better for having read their tweet or read their blog or whatever. I know I'm going to learn something. I know I'm going to. I know I'm going to find it useful. Um, I have no. I, I have. I have no time for for someone who you know who poos another person's choice or taste because it's different from theirs. You know, I, I don't care if we're talking about politics, food pets or golf you know it's i mean you can't slam another person's taste just because that's what they like um that said yeah you know i mean i like what i like Mm -hmm. um and i like what i like for you know because i've lived as long as i have and i've seen what i've seen um does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, most people would agree with that. And, you know, the the concept of not – well, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but, you know, certainly not paying attention to what annoys you. I mean, that that's that's good advice for anyone that, that follows uh, anyone on social, really. Um, but I, I – do get a sense, and I think the word, the phrase that was being tossed around earlier today, at least, was this this snobbery, I guess, or just snobs going into this. And you know, obviously, everyone who's anonymous to a point in front of a keyboard can say whatever they want. Um, and as you put it, you know, kind of poo-poo what somebody else actually likes, and then find a reason why that's not good enough. You know, I I view that as 
a hindrance to something, to a topic that could actually grow a great deal and people can learn more about because people might just get turned off by the whole thing. And as I mentioned, you know, I find it annoying to a degree, but at the flip side of that, for many of these courses that we might not hear much about, these types of conversations can actually help them out quite a bit. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, that, that, uh, as I said on Twitter today, um, you know, Andy Johnson, the fried egg, you know, someone like Andy, you know, he, he's probably considered, you know, the worst of the snobs because he says what he, he says, what he says, he's opinionated. But when, but when you have someone like him with an opinion like his, is it not, does it not make more sense? And is it not a wise thing to do to listen to it? It doesn't mean to say necessarily you're going to agree with it, Mm -hmm. but if someone like him says it and you know he is knowledgeable i mean really knowledgeable yes i had the pleasure of meeting him three or four times and you know we, we talked a little bit about it you know someone with his experience and his knowledge you know you, you'd just be foolish not to not to at least take it on board or read it mm-hmm. now you know if, if people think he's over opinionated and people you know people take offense at it you know that, that's up to them but um, you'd be foolish, you'd be stupid not to uh, at least listen or read. And Tony, one of the things that I always kind of struggle with myself is, you know, is it okay to have that opinion that I'm holding? You know, and I know that sounds weird, but sometimes when you when you throw that idea out into the world and people come back at you and say, you know, no, that, that opinion's wrong, uh, sometimes I, I try to make some some sense of all of that. What are your thoughts on, on that type of, you know, holding opinion and really standing by it? Um, I don't think your opinion will ever be wrong. Um, I might not agree with it. I mean, I, I might, you know, it, it might not be as, it might not come from the same place. It might not be as well educated or well informed, but it's your opinion. And, um, and that's, that's great. I mean, that's strong. Mm-hmm. What I will say, what I will say though, um, you know, whether whether we regard a course as good or bad um, is, as, as I just mentioned, it's all about taste and people's preferences. But that said, um, I asked this on Twitter a couple of days ago. If you have, if you have a course, if you have two courses, sorry, one of which uh, I'm going to give you two two scenarios. One of these courses is natural. Mm-hmm. Cost cost a million dollars or less, you know, way less to build. Um, has a variety has a has an amazing routing, whereby you know you're 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 uh, shooting in different directions all the time. You're not just going backwards and forwards, parallel lines, parallel holes, um, and because of the way the because of the routing and because of the way the holes are designed, each shot is, is different from the last. There's great variety. Um, so, so every day, every round um, is different from yesterday's. And the, sh- and the shots you hit might be different, might be mm-hmm. very different from the, the ones you've hit previously on that course. Or you have a course that does go up and down, parallel lines, um, has got thick rough or trees that, um, 
dictate which kind of shot you have to hit off the tee and into the green. Um, causes you to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes during your round looking for a lost ball. Hmm. Um, and has, has so many fancy, ornate things like fountains and waterfalls and lakes, etc., that it adds, that they, you know, they, they cost so much that it adds a great deal to significantly to the green fee um, and also to the, you know, makes the maintenance budget, the annual maintenance budget um, excessive, which in turn adds to the green fee. Mm-hmm. If you have if you have those two types of courses, which is better, you know, w- which is preferable? Sure. Um, so so at that point, I'm not saying you can't dislike either course. You can't, you know, you might love them both, but somewhere deep down, um, I think it's fair to say that one type of course, in this case, the first. The first example is literally better than the other. Yeah. Well, and I'm the type of person that likes to get the most I can out of any golf course that I go to. <laughs> and so uh, the scenarios you painted, the first certainly seems more appealing to me. Well, well, doesn't wouldn't it to everyone? I mean, I, of, of course, people like fountains, people like waterfalls, people like water hazards. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, ultimately, you know, when that sort of stuff is adding $20, $30 to your green fee, it's, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just causing you to hit the same shot day in, day out, you know, because there's no variety on, you know, uh, uh, take that scenario. You know, if, if there's a, if there's a hundred yard wide lake with a fountain in it, fountains out of here or there between you and the hole you can only hit one shot hmm. right you can only hit the high losses shot that carries the water right it's the only shot that'll work unless unless you're going to skim it you know like they do off the, off the, <laughs> the masters right you know which which you know if you've got a scorecard in your hand or you're playing for money i wouldn't advise you know it's, it's probably not the best thing to do so in that scenario there's there's one there's one shot that's going to work I lost a shot that carries the water, right? Right. You know, if 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 there's humps and mounds and valleys and troughs, you know, in the hole, you could play it. You could play it ten different ways. You know, you might decide to pitch it here and it, and it bounce in that direction, or play it really low and just sort of run through it all, or you might loft it over it all. You know, but there's options. There's different shots that that are available to you. And and here I go again talking about the old days. You know, <laughs> if you saw Lee, Lee Trevino, if you ever if you ever had the great great pleasure to follow Lee Trevino for any number of holes at the Open Championship and see the sorts of shots he played. You know, little low cut cutter here, a high draw here. You know, it, just the variety of of shots he played just made it so compelling. It's it was it, it was really. And Sevi, Sevi was the same, you know, and, and that, that is kind of lost today, which is a shame. That's, that's basically the way that the world works. And, you know, it's, it's great that we can have this opportunity, you know, like you and I have, have never met face to face, but we've only corresponded over social a little bit, 
And, you know, it's great that these types of topics can kind of bring us into this conversation and we can talk about it like we are right now. And I'm sure that you and I could talk more, much more about it. And I hope we do in the future, Tony. Um, but I know that you've been absolutely extremely uh, gracious with your time today. I, I really do appreciate at least the start of hopefully many conversations. And you can certainly uh, follow both uh, Tony and I on Twitter if you don't already. Uh, Tony, we'll do this again in the future. Uh, really appreciate you coming on to talk us through this. It was my pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me.